Hi, I'm Lawrence Diamond. And I'm Bob Matthews. And this is The Process of Production. Mate, how's your week been? It's been brilliant, thank you. I've been having quite a synth-heavy week. Uh, first of all, I, I taught my um, some of my students like intro to synthesis on on Tuesday, and um, you know, you know that that'll be one of my favourite classes on the course, right? Obviously, so yeah, um, definitely. I just got really fired up when I was um, when I was explaining about oscillator detune and how you can like <laughs> detune one of them, and I was just like. Oh yeah, I, I just yeah, it just it just really I really felt the passion for for synth and for teaching. Just like Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society, yeah. everyone was like standing on their chairs with Bob in his ADSR t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit <laughs> like that. Yeah, and then I had a great session yesterday. I was doing some composing, sort of film soundtracky type stuff, and I was trying to do some more complex synth stuff, some granular synthesis, which oh, I yeah. still I really don't get. I think I'm just going to do a few online tutorials. Um, to try and get my head around it, but but you can get some really cool like, futuristic sounding results, which I was aiming for. I didn't quite get there. I, yeah, I've never delved deep into granular synthesis. I did a track once where I pulled up like a granular synthesizer plugin, mm. and um, you stick like an audio form in, don't you? And like choose yeah, a bit of the so audio form. I was working with a com- with a composer, my friend Kate Hiley, and um, I recorded a bit of her voice, and I was like, that's put this through a granular synthesizer and i didn't really know what i meant i just knew kind of uh, in my imagination what it was going to sound like and it it, we did get something cool but i had no idea i just remember that i did it and it sounded really good from the minute i pressed like go and then i tried to move any of the parameters and it just went mental and i just kept undoing and going like well this sounds good i'll use this this works exactly the grain size you know yeah. what (laughs) the main thing i've been doing this week is enjoying like a really nice response to our comeback uh two weeks back yeah Catherine Marks loads of you have been listening to it and streaming it Uh, it's been one of our most popular ever episodes and it was really gratifying to see that you guys had stuck around and Mm -hmm. and were were eager for new episodes so thank you so much for that and to Catherine it's it's really getting a lot of response so that's awesome to see yeah it's brilliant that we're still growing and um, thanks for listening guys and this week we sort of we sort of do a little bit of a pivot because I feel like Catherine is very much that sort of traditional producer in the big chair like Mm -hmm. she's got such a breadth of experience as, a, as an engineer and she's producing these kind of albums for yeah. alternative bands where there's sort of the story from the beginning to the end and then our interview this week is a gentleman called Andy Hall Hall and we actually came across him I think he's the first person we've interviewed where we've both worked with him separately yeah if only electronically yes yes virtually that's right yeah so he um produced a song that i co-wrote with a band called the castells and he mixed a track that you produced is that right that's right uh later by orchid which is like one of my still one of my favorite tracks that that i've produced yeah he he did a great but great job on both and we kind of talk about those projects uh both of them in the interview but yeah that's how he came onto our radar but um he just his name kept coming up uh, um Mm. on 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 loads of things and people kept recommending him for stuff and i think i I think mainly because he's just such a nice person yeah a a person who's really good at their job and really nice to deal with that's usually a winning combo and i think he's kind of interesting to us as well because like i feel like maybe and he talks about this in this interview that where he is in his career path and the way he's building his career is probably a bit more like hopefully some of you are where you've maybe got a studio or you've got a home studio. He has an amazing studio in South London. Um, And you're building what we talked about before Christmas, that spider web of income. So you're producing, you're mixing, you're Mm -hmm. engineering. You might even be going out and doing some live sound and you're building your career that way. Mm -hmm. 
um, so we just thought it was really interesting to sort of go from talking with Catherine last last fortnight yeah. to Andy this fortnight, two really talented people just doing it in a slightly different way. So we thought that would be quite an interesting insight for you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's a really fun interview and he's, he's, he goes into great depth about his career path and how it sort of, how it built. One other thing he goes into great depth into, which is, I think possibly the Venn diagram of process of production yeah. uh, is he talks about how he colors his audio tracks for easy reference in his, when he's recording vocals or guitars. For those of you who are the more casual audiophile listener, mm. that might not be catnip. Yeah. <laughs> but for those of you day-to-day -day tracking and referencing uh, mixes, this might be like the moment you've been waiting 30 episodes for. I think you'd be surprised how well that section's going to go down, man. <laughs> I mean, it went down well with us, as yeah. you'll hear in the in the. Uh, let's talk a episode. bit more about that in the outro. Let's, let's get to it, shall we? Let's get to it. Take it away. Andy Hall Hall is a music producer, songwriter, and engineer, working out of his studio in Battersea, South London. He started his career as a guitarist and vocalist in bands, but soon turned his interest to production after co-writing The Other Tribe's summer hit, Skirts, in 2012. He's worked with some massive artists, including James Gillespie, Bastille, Griff, Kygo, and Fickle Friends. He produced the majority of James Gillespie's debut album, Safe, including singles Beyond Today and What You Do. We start our interview talking about Andy's work with James Gillespie, including his current work on the new album. We're just finishing up album two at the moment. Right. And that's, um, yeah, literally on the very, very last bits. And did you, is it right, did you vocal, because he did the track with Kygo, right? Yeah. Did you track the vocals for that? It, we, that was a total, like, pitched for it. So I think James just heard heard the song on um, on the Instagram story of Kygo's. They'd been chatting. I think Kygo had messaged James and just said, um, really love your voice. And they had started following each other. And then James just saw this little piano loop that Kygo had done. And James was like, right, please give me that now. I need to sing on that. Um, but I don't think it was even an idea for a song or anything. But yeah, he just sent it over. And then James just, uh, you know, J James has got a set up at home, but he was like, yeah. I really, really want to get this this song. So let's let's just do it properly straight away. And amazingly, we literally just did one. And it was kind of, we did it to just sort of pitch to Kygo, what do you think of this? Because he hadn't even heard the melodies or the lyrics or anything. And we just sent it and then literally came straight back. It was like, cool, I'm recording an orchestra. It's coming out. <laughs> like, just wow. jumped Whoa. straight into it. Yeah. So that was that was actually an awesome experience. So that literally was like the the first take, demo take, you know, pitch track became the, the multi-million streaming vocal stem. Yeah. Well, we just, um, yeah, I mean, literally that. Um, I don't think we did. Did we do? I feel like we might have gone back in to do a few extra BVs or maybe I don't think we had written a second verse. I, I actually, to be honest, I can't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure we did go back in and add something to it. When you're tracking an artist for, for a feature or like some sort of non album project like that, is, is that, is that a slightly different headspace that you've got to be in or like, how do you approach getting that vocal? Um, no, it's pretty, it's pretty much exactly the same as like me and James have worked together for so long now that it's, it's, we, you know, it, 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 I think m the way I do it with James is 
it's the way I try and do it with everyone else, but I have to be a, l- a lot more sensitive with everyone else because um, mm-hmm. I can just be so brutal with James. I mean, he, he, he knows everything about the way I work and the way my studio is set up. He can see my computer screen. So he know- I've got like about eight different colors I use when I color it, you know, when he does a take, I'll color it. And um, he knows exactly um what, what i mean yeah. by whatever color yeah. so i'll be saying through the talk back like mate you smashed it he's like no i didn't you haven't colored it anything <laughs> he knows exactly what, what, so there's literally no point we don't even need to communicate anymore he just looks at my colors so so what's your color coding system do you do that literally while they're tracking you yeah or, um... well i, I some i normally actually james was actually talking about this um a couple of days ago um because he was like, he did a take and he said, oh, I, I was like, that, that, that one really broke my heart because I, I thought I'd nailed it. I thought you were going to colour it blue and then nothing came up. But then like halfway through the, the start of the next take, I saw the blue go on and I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're just mulling it and you're like, yes, it's worthy. Yes, it's worthy. Exactly. <laughs> Are the colours just an indication of like like it, love it, not sure, or is there is it more complicated? I'll tell than that? you it exactly. Okay. It stays, I mean, I, I actually I get more and more generous the longer I've been doing this. So when okay. I started out, green was the take. Um, it was like literally a traffic light. So green was the take. Orange yeah. was there's some good bits in there, but it's not the best take. Red was don't even bother, but I, I never delete anything. So yeah. n- nothing ever really gets colored red, but, um, sure. but I still had that in place. Um, and then basically I found that the more generous I've got over time, I just was coloring everything green. I was like, oh God, I need another color now. So now blue is like, whoa, that take <laughs> is an incredible. Uh, but then it gets even more complicated because my guitar tracks are colored blue by um this is really boring isn't it this is the place for it oh good um yeah so my guitar tracks are blue by default so yes. so, yeah. I, so the blue of guitar tracks is actually pink i i just because i don't take in, I, I find if i don't comp it really quickly after I, I don't have a method of like keeping that information in my head or for for, for reference so i need to pick it up yeah well I, actually on when time is really like of the essence i will actually mm. i do it the i think it's a pretty standard old school thing to do where you literally have a bit of paper yeah and yeah. you just write the tank number by where it is talking vocals are you is a lot of what you do vocal production or or is do you do you do the full track the full kind of start to finish thing more often well, I, I do kind of a bit of everything, really. Um, I, I I was actually thinking you might ask something along those lines, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I was I sort of decided I was going to answer that. I I kind of I can't really I get bored by just sticking in one thing, um, so I do a lot of production. I do a lot of songwriting and I do a lot of vocal production. But I also actually do like live sound engineering as well. Right, um, nice. and actually, actually, I was just listening to one of your. Um, I think it was maybe the last podcast you did when you were talking about, you know, the other things to 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 keep uh, keep you know, alive. The, I think, I think yeah. you described it as the uh, cobweb, spiderweb. Spiderweb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So live sound is my one for that. So, right. I, so I'm actually James's um, 
live sound engineer as well. That's interesting because there was a question I wanted to kind of circle back to that. I saw that um, on the last record, you produced a whole single while on the road. Oh, yeah. Where did, where did you and hear I'm about assuming that? Instagram, we, always, we make sure we do our research. Nice. Um, and I, I assume that was when you were out being the, the live engineer and then you, kind yeah. of having pressures to deliver a single. Um, talk to us a bit about that experience. That must have been pretty exciting. Um, we kind of tracking in dressing rooms and in the van and at McDonald's drive throughs and stuff. Yeah, well, well, it was. Um, I love this question. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, so we um, that was actually a European tour. So it started off. I think the first date of the tour was in Budapest. Um, just get my pronunciation right because they yes. told me I was telling I was doing it wrong before, and then um, sort of went the whole way around Europe, but ended in um, in England. But we did. It was basically just on days off. So the first day, because I actually also have somehow been lumped in with like TMing James as well. So sure. we, um, yeah. I, I knew before this tour, like well in advance of this tour, that we were going to have to record that song on the road. So um, I, and neither of us had any time leading up to the tour, so we couldn't even get it done before. But we had clocked, a, we had a few days off in the tour. So we just, um, I deliberately chose not travel lodges on those days and we got yourself a mercury blue on the days that you needed to to do the vocal tracking <laughs> i love airbnbs for that so on mm. on those dates just every whenever we had that day off i was like okay cool there's a day we're gonna be able to work on the the, the single I'll, I'll just get us a nicer airbnb that's got three bedrooms well two bedrooms mm. but we'll just turn the living room into a into a studio and would you just kind of have a few mics in your mic case maybe Stick a, stick a duvet over a door or... No, so we we tour with this mic called the DPA De Facto, which is um, a really, really nice condenser mic, um, but like aimed at live um, sound. So he tours yeah. with that anyway for the, for the shows. And in hindsight, like I actually didn't have an SM7 at the time. But if I had an SM7, I definitely would have brought that with me. But at the time, we were just like, it was all so kind of, we just got to make it work. And we were actually like absolutely maxed out with our luggage on that tour. So we mm-hmm. we were tr- we were like, well, if I can save, because obviously I could have brought one of my condensers with. But like, um, in the end, we just decided that the de facto was good enough. And, Great. and, and also, I, I had specifically said I was not going to be mixing this record because obviously I can't be doing that on the road with headphones. No way, yeah. So I, I felt quite sorry for Neil uh, Coomber, <laughs> um, who had to mix it, but I knew that he would, uh, he'd get it done. So was it a sort of that mic went across everything that we're doing or was a lot of the track programmed and or was there guitars? Because James plays guitar as well. Like was there kind of that was the mic for the guitar as well and it was kind of... Yeah, well, interestingly, we actually, um, we never record real guitars on any of James's records. So I've got, okay. I've got a Kemper and I've yeah. just, I've just bit, literally been scouring the internet over the last few years, looking for the best profiles I can find. And now James has also got a Kemper, which he tours with. And I've, I've just basically given him all, um, our profiles that we use on the record. So his right, guitar right. tones, um, well, technically he has the ability to make them exactly the same as the record, but uh, mostly I think it's, a, it's a harsh to say laziness, but you know, he's got a lot of things to be dealing with. And, sure. one, and yeah, to yeah. be honest, one guitar tone does, 
you know, cover most of James's sound. Yeah, so we just basically had the guitar tone ready to go. So we were just, I, I had a little um, Apollo X4, um, which my studio is mostly Apollo. So I've got right. like the X8, um, and then I bump that up to 12 tracks with the X4. But that mm-hmm. works as like my portable studio. And that and that DPA mic, is that one of those condensers? You said it's been designed for live, so spill is less of an issue. I can't actually remember whether we had any issues with the room. Um, yeah. I, I don't think we did. I think, yeah, I think what you just said about, um, you know, obviously it's Something got that slightly, um, like an SM7, you never have issues with the room. I'm yeah. assuming, um, yeah, I don't remember any issues, so I'm assuming right. that must have been the case. And did you come, You it seems like you came from a band background, so this kind of relationship with James and with the other artists that you're working with where you kind of get quite involved. Does that feel more natural to you? And, and is that sort of where you came from into production? Well, yeah. Um, so I started like the same way almost all my friends started, which was just playing, I'm assuming how you guys started as well, right? Playing in a thousand rubbish bands. Yeah, playing in bands in the local scene, putting on shows, um, driving your mates around, um, just doing whatever you could to, to hang out with your mates and play music, basically. Mm. And then I just got, I remember we went to a proper studio, well, yeah, no, it was a proper studio. It's called Earth Terminal in um, in Odium in Hampshire. And I remember just being absolutely like my mind. I was like probably 16 and we had all saved up all our money to try Amazing. and get, go to the studio. And I remember just having my mind blown that if someone could make the rubbish that we were making sound so good. And I was like, I need to work out how to do that myself. So that was the light bulb moment for you. Um did, did you then start getting into production? Were you start tracking your band's demos? Or what was the what was the process? Well, yeah, so, so that was back in the day. So we were making like kind of, well, we, we would we would call it post-hardcore, but... Um, right, lovely, <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's rock and, you know, I, our, version, our term post-hardcore is everybody else's emo. I was also in the post-hardcore scene. Where, where was your post-hardcore scene? So Kingston, Kingston, oh, South nice, yeah, yeah. They, played at the Fighting uh, Cox. Yes, as of as of we. Have you, Bob, have you played Fighting Cox? Yeah, yeah, a couple of times, yeah. And what, um, what, was, the other, what was the other one? Um, and the Peel before yeah, the it peel, got turned yeah. into flats. There's a big, there's a big sort of... Um, hub of that kind of emo slash post hardcore um yes so i was obviously like just writing so i can't even remember where i think i did like a music technology course at my college mm. uh down in portsmouth well have, haven't college have anyone right. from that area sure. knows represent um, yeah uh, so yes, i haven't college did a little music tech course um i think we had cubase so i kind of learned on that and i was just doing you know the same as what everyone does at that age on on Cubase, but just getting really into it. Um, and then I think it all changed when I um, saw Enter Shikari, and I was like, "Oh, synths!" And that was the right. first. That was the first time that I was got really into synths, and then that just sent me down this um, path to a million different, you know, delay pedals, and I mean, not yeah. that they were. I mean, I'm sure they did use lots of delay, but that's not, you know, it, it's not explosions in the sky, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like those, yeah. those bands kind of take you down those, those routes. 
then that just made me like obsessed with logic and just writing songs on that. So you started songwriting, working with other, doing doing production for people in the scene, or what? yeah, j- just for my band. I wasn't really working. I mean, I did record a couple of the other bands in the scene, but you know that mm. was back in the days where I was probably on like the equivalent of a Focusrite interface with you know yeah. an SM7 57, uh, yeah. and it's essentially. I mean, I was totally rubbish, so I couldn't make those those bands sound good but mm. i was doing it for myself trying to um just record my band stuff yeah and uh yeah what was was there a moment that you sort of felt like oh, i've we've sort of talked about this a bit recently in some of our episodes you sort of you're building you're playing in bands maybe you're doing live sound you're doing some writing with some bands that probably don't have deals yet or maybe you just get was there a sort of song or a moment that you were or a production where you're like oh hold on a minute i'm stepping up here and maybe I can start to pivot that this is something a bit more, I mean, not that it's ever a hobby, but like this is starting to get real now maybe and, and sort of take that step. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that probably happened when I joined. Um, so I was, I was in my band and then um, there's this guy at my college, I went to the ACM in Guildford, the music college. And there was this guy there who I had seen live at the boiler room in Guildford um, called Nick Harrison playing the show. And I thought it was like the best thing I'd ever seen. And he, uh, then he came into the college and was looking for a producer. And I'd been producing my band stuff and a few of my friends, but not really much. Um, and I just sent, and I overheard him saying to one of the like lecturers, I'm looking for a producer. And I just basically just went, right, that's me. I'm, I'm going to be your producer. And just totally, just totally blagged it. And we, that just started like a really long friendship. And then I ended up being in the band like somehow taught myself keys to be in this band um having never played keys before <laughs> um, so like, i can program it and you know why not learn the keys yeah and then that uh then that was the kind of real pivot because that in, he had like proper management proper label um and i met lots of people through that and that was kind of the, the real start where i was like okay now i'm meeting real people in the music industry yeah, yeah. as opposed to just you know people hanging out at the local music venues in Guildford and Portsmouth. Then that, I ended up playing a gig at a mate's 18th, but well, he wasn't my mate at the time, but he's now a mate, um, <laughs> his 18th. And then I bumped into this band called The Other Tribe. And that was like where it all kind of started for me. Because again, I was on this like blagging tip where mm. I just it got a, um, you know, pretend to be this guy that, that knows what he's doing. Mm. And um, obviously I've been doing like all the demos for Talking Pictures, which is the band I, I was in with Nick and arranged a writing session with Alex, the main guy, who's also now my best mate. And yeah, that that, that kind of started started it all off for me. Yeah, they had a tune, uh, was, it, was it called Skirts? That was a uh, like bit, bit of a hit, is, is that right? Yeah, it was a... Uh, it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it hits a, maybe a bit of a stretch, but it was, you know, it was sure, got, but got it, a lot of Radio t- 1 play and was, every time I went to the gym, not that I really ever did that, but yeah. <laughs> when I did, it would be on at the gym. And then that's something that you can use as a calling card to to, to, to start doing other production work. Is, is that how you played it? Yeah, well, that, um, so that much the same as like how it's gone with James. I Basically, that started by I did a writing session with Alex, the the main writer in the band. I mean, they all write, but Alex was the guy with the, with Logic. Yeah, and yeah. Um, 
And we, so we started writing, um, actually no, I think we started off by, I was doing, they had a song which I really liked that they had played live at this gig that we worked on, but it, but the production was maybe like a little bit, um, uh, not quite there yet. So, so I just sort of offered my services, um, said, I'd love to help you, you know, take it up a level, obviously completely blagging it. Um, and amazingly we ended up putting they, or they ended we finished this like version I mean I guess you'd still call it a rough mix really and compared to other things I hear now but um, yeah that that went out and it got all over all the blogs and um, got quite a lot of love from that and then off the back of that they got signed and got a manager and that that was it really and that that was like when it all really kicked off that's it because you sort of came to our attention through something that um bob has worked with you and, I, and i've worked with someone that worked with you and actually it's interesting you said that because one thing that was really interesting that was a song that i wrote with this band called the castells lovely guys from south london and what i loved when i got the production was a lot of times i work on things the producer sends it back and it sounds so much better than my demo because i'm i'm kind of more of a writer than a producer but i'm not sure they've made the song any better and i'm not quite sure you know, the value's been added. But what was really impressed when I heard it was it sounded fucking great. But you really had dug in on like, can we arrange these riffs? Is this the best way to structure the chorus? What's happening before the chorus? And there was a real care about that really important part of production, which is either writing or pre-production. Or do you feel that because you came from a band background with a writing background, that's still like a really important part of production for you? Because it, it seemed to be when I, when I hear your work. Well, uh, well, thank you very much. That's uh, like my, my favourite compliment I've got in ages. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, well, I think for me, like with the whole band thing, it was all my own, basically my only priority back then uh, when I was playing in bands was about how to make it slam live. So yeah. it was about getting that dynamic so that, you know, it's probably what everyone was doing in that post-hardcore world, but you know, I wanted to make the verses kind of quiet and beautiful and dreamy and then just really sm smash the guitars in the chorus. <laughs> yeah. But like, I've, I mean, I guess I've sort of just through trial and error and just doing it, you, you realize that a lot of the time the way to, and I know everyone always says this, but the way to make stuff hit hard is to have less stuff. And as, Mm -hmm. I, you, I find that when I like incrementally start adding stuff in, it, uh, it actually slowly starts feeling smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So I, so I'm, I'm, I guess one of my things as a producer is trying to take stuff out, mm -hmm. um, just to create so that if, when it's there, it's actually got a space. So is that something you do at the production stage and when you go to mix a track as well, are you looking to less is more? Well, yeah, I, I, I know everyone always says like, they should be two very this clear, different, mm. um, what's the word? Different processes. Processes, processes. yeah. 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 Uh, but it, it often doesn't really sort of pan out that way for me. I'm kind of no. mixing as I go loosely. Um, I mean, not really mixing, but I'm getting tones. Sure. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, on this song, I'm going to want a really subby bass because the kick isn't going to be giving it any of that or the kick hasn't given it that mm. um so yeah i am i'm thinking about the end process but i don't i i actually was thinking this the other day i probably should 
delve a bit more into pre-production because there is the odd song that comes in um and i'm like oh i really wish i had actually planned this out a bit better before getting to this stage because there's so many parts and it's like yeah well because because then you're then you're you're then having to deal with um, like hurting pe- people's ego by yeah. taking stuff out, and obviously mm-hmm. you want this whole process to be fun, um, and I never want to make anyone feel like they've made a mistake by having this or that or causing a problem later down the line. Mm. Um, so yeah, I so I think it's sometimes easier, and it's particularly if you go into a pre-production. Not that I've ever really done this, but I you know I fantasize about it <laughs> going, going <laughs> yeah. into a um a rehearsal room like there's you know there's a couple of bands i work with that just love more guitars more guitars more guitars they the band that will know exactly who i'm thinking of there um (laughs) (laughs) um, but the um yeah when when you're in a rehearsal room you've only got two guitarists in the band there is only there's only there can only be two guitars Mm. so then it's, it's a question it's a question of is that guitar good enough? Is that guitar good enough? And let's not make it better just by putting six guitars in. Yeah, I always say less is more, and I think the point the point you're making is is like it matters on an arrangement level, but also like on a mixing level, right? In terms of thinking about the frequency range as well as like the arrangement of guitars, bass, drums, and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. For me, the longer I've been doing this, the more I've come to realize that they are basically exactly the same thing. So right. like often you'll find with like a guitar, actually this was, this was actually on a song I was working on recently. Um, we had this part, actually it was another James Gillespie song. We've, and it's, it's not even out yet, but it's the one I'm most excited about. Um, but we, I've just got around it because we, I, we wrote the song on a piano um, and it was in this voicing down here. And then, we when we kept, we then decided like actually we should do this on a guitar, so we then transposed it, you know, put it on a guitar and kind of did it in the same, um, what do you call that area? Register, yeah, like, yeah, register, yeah, register, yeah, re- register, register yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, so we put it in the same register as the piano, but I just found that no matter what guitar tune we were finding, it was blowing up the low end in the in a way that the piano wasn't. Um, so yeah, basically we ended up just transposing the guitar. Basically it was too much low frequencies. So rather than just cutting out the lows, we ended up just, you know, changing the voicing of the guitar. It's essentially shifting that, you know, that frequency further up. Yeah. And a a lot of the time. And did that just free up space for the vocal to sit better or for the drums to sit in that space or just, it just, did just lift it. Um, no, it wasn't so much for the vocal. It was it was more for the bass, because it right. was it was kind of the bass was the bass of the guitar was was kind of overpowering the whole mix. Mm-hmm. So it was it was hitting the compressors so that it couldn't there wasn't enough room to make the song loud, and I, I was finding it hard to get any you know headroom. Yeah, you in, you don't have to EQ something. You can just change the way you play it. So I mean, you you kind of touched on and. Uh, this is a question I wanted to ask you about that blurred line between production and mixing as someone who does like pretty much the whole production process all the way through to mixing. How do you, how do you sort of deal with that? When a, when you're mixing something yourself, um, 
you, you said you start mixing as you go. Does that present any problems? And then B, if you're, for example, you mixed a song I produced by an artist called Orchid. Is, is that correct? You, yeah, you yeah, did yeah. later by Orchid. Talk, yeah, talk to me about how that process differs when you get a song in and, and you have to, you, you have to, it must be a different mindset if you haven't produced the track. Well, um, I always, if I am going to mix a song, I always prefer, um, and I, I love producing my own, uh, mixing songs I've produced. But yeah, yeah. I, if, if the, when it comes to just mixing, I always prefer mixing a song that I haven't produced right? because I've got, I've got a, a rough to beat. So mm. then it's just a case of like, how do I better it from there? Um, whereas obviously when I'm, when I'm mixing a song I've produced, I've got nothing to try and beat. You know, because because I, I I've got one of those like switches on my. Um, it's like the A B thing, where so you can flick between the mixes that you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, yeah. so I, so I used to just flick between the mixes and and go like, why is theirs better than mine? What what's missing? And then just literally just be flicking back and forward like that, and yeah, just try and get through it that way. But obviously, you can't do that when you've produced it yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're you're sort it's, of there. So is mixing your own stuff is more of an incremental process that happens during the production process and you sort of get to delivery and you're like, is this mix done then, I guess? Yeah, well, I think where you said incremental process, I think that's exactly how I would describe it. It's just like, how do I make this better? How do I make this better? And then eventually I get to a point where I have the balls to um, to compare it with a song that's on the radio and then... Just, just like sort of pray that it sounds remotely close, <laughs> and then and then work out what is it that makes their sound better than mine. How do I get mine that little bit further? I mean, you, you said you, you were blagging it a lot back in like that, like ten, ten or so years ago when you first Still got am. into this. Still, yeah, well, I was I, I was going to ask like, at what point did you did you gain the confidence with especially the more technical side of stuff, which takes a few years to learn mixing and. Or is it is it still a process where where you're 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 blagging some of the time? Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, I mean, in short, yes. <laughs> like, I think we all are to some degree. Like, I I think there was a moment. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember having this moment where I could fully trust my ears because for a long time, even after I started doing it professionally, I was. I would second guess a lot of the stuff I did, even even things about like the, the example I can think of now. I'd, I've been working with this artist called Tyg Daly a lot, and um, oh, yeah. he sent a um, one of the songs we were working on. He, he sent like a we'd done a rough, we did a writing camp um, last year uh, in Jersey, and we had recorded it all on SM7. And I know SM7s are a good mic that everyone loves, um, but f for me. I I just refuse. I still refuse to believe that it's the best the best mic for the job. Like my, yeah. I'm like my telephone can must be better. Like yeah. so we'll we'll yeah. do this. We end up like writing all these all these demos, which have actually the EP came out I think last week or maybe the week before. Um, but all five of the songs on that EP, maybe minus one, were all written on a week writing camp in Jersey last year. Um, and they were all just recorded on this SM7. And we ended up, when we got back to London, going, okay, cool, now we're going to produce it properly. Um, obviously, the majority of the sounds needed to be vastly improved because we were just doing it on, you know, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with HS5s, but I think we just had a pair of HS5s and it was just, you know, very much in a living room of this, mm. um, actually his dad's house. 
so not a proper studio, um, but everything needs to, needed to be improved. But actually, in hindsight, we we did end up spending ages re-recording the vocals on my nice telefunk and getting it better. But sure. in hindsight, I should have just not bothered yep. because yep. because the SM7, <laughs> his takes that he got on the day, particularly for an artist like Tyke, who is um, very like in the moment, like you know, his sister's an actress and he's he's kind of you know it's. He's a real feel. Um, actually, I don't really know why I <laughs> mentioned sister being an actor. <laughs> no, but I know, that, there's kind of an element of performance and getting into the moment and, and like living it as he delivers it, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. He 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 really like delves in, and there's something about the passion and the the belief of when he's doing it at the, that moment that is quite hard to recreate sometimes. I think it does take that, doesn't it? Because certainly as you're growing as a producer or something, you're like, great, now I've got this expensive microphone, everything will sound better and that will make my productions better. Mm. And then maybe you come round again where you start going, that sounds good. And, and I sort of trust myself to think that sounds good rather than if Paul Epworth heard that, he'd go, that's an SM7, Andy. Why didn't you just put it on the Telefunken? But you're like, no, no, I, my ears are good enough now to go like, that's got the take in it or, or like my belief in it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think that's a much more succinct way of saying what I was trying to say, <laughs> which is that ultimately, yeah, now I can trust my ears or I'm at least a lot better at trusting my ears and just going, no, that is, that is good enough. Be nice to talk about your space in Battersea. That's, that's where you work out of, isn't it? And you've sort of built a, maybe a label from there as well and sort of, sort of got a few things going on. How long have you been there and how have you kind of built the space so that it, it's like your unique space that you like to work from? Oh, well, it was, it was luckily my friend was in it before me and he's worked on lots of great records from there, which um, basically gave me a, lots of confidence that, you know, if I can't blame the studio because Mark, right. yeah, yeah, Mark's yeah, yeah. made some hits in there. Um, so, you know, if there's anything going wrong, it's me, not the studio. Um, yeah, so that's, I basically just, just set up there after he upgraded studio. So he's got this like absolutely um, insane studio now in um, uh, Ellsfield, Tooting, that kind of yeah, right. world. Yeah, but he just built it up, built it from the ground up and it's incredible. Um, so yeah, so I've now got his old space, which has got all this history, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. just gives me that confidence to, um, work from there. But yeah, I, I, it kind of started out as a writing studio. And then as I've done more and more, you know, there is a control room, there's a kitchen, there's a vocal booth, there's a live room for where we do drums. Um, and yeah, it's basically set up to do everything and the rent's good. In London, that, that's the first question almost like, can I survive? Shakespeare once said that music is the food of love. But what is the food of music? As much as the right microphone or guitar amp, what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session. So each week we like to ask our guests, what do they cook or order to get the mood right in the studio? I love that question. I wish I had a better answer. Um, so I, I do have a kitchen, but I don't have um, like hobs and stuff. So I never really cook at the studio. Um, but I'm really lucky that we've got like three great restaurants right next to the studio. Um, shout out Corelli's and Vibes Cafe. What's your favourite plugin? Um, oh, that's, it's boring, but 1176, Blue Stripe, UAD. 
What's your favorite piece of hardware? Uh, Does it keep the synths count? Uh, No, we'll come to that. Okay. uh, Favorite piece of hardware? Again, I've got an 1176. <laughs> I'm going to have to change my plug-in. You can, go, can, no, but hold on. Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, that's your favourite plug-in is an 1176 emulation and your favourite piece of hardware is your 1176. Is that because you do so much out on the road and you need it for like pulling up mixes or is there some things where you think the plug-in does a better job than the, than the hardware? Or do you track through the hardware and then add the plug-in as well? I never come out of Logic um, and use the 11 I just use it on the way in. Right. I mean, I can't really tell the difference between the plugin and the... Um, I say can't really. I can't tell the difference between the two. Yeah. But I just love... It, it, it makes such a big difference tracking through, a, particularly with vocals, through a compressor yeah. on the way in. I always... I mean, I, there's, I will do a lot of compression on the way in, like sometimes up to 20 dB on the way in. Okay, and, wow. And then be putting probably another... I mean, at the loud, at the loud peaks. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I know this is wrong, and everyone will will slate me for this, but I will often there will be times where I'll take twenty on the way in, and then twenty again on the mm. channel, and then probably another three on the bus. Well, I, this, I, is, this I, is Bob's world, and he's just like ready for this. Yeah. I always say know the rules so you can break them, right? So yeah. like you know why like you should not be doing that much compression, but you can you can hear that you think it sounds cool in in given scenarios. So I think that's great. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I like getting it that little bit louder. I think it also makes the singer sing better when like I will also add just in their monitors um, another compressor that doesn't get tracked. Mm-hmm. Um, like absolutely slamming the compression on that because that um i feel like it gives the singer like in those moments where you're gonna belt if you're if if you suddenly get really loud in your headphones if you're a little bit shy you're far less likely to belt as as you might as you might do otherwise and that extra bit of compression in your ears just gives you that confidence to to go because people are less likely is that something you, that you do in software for their like monitoring, or, or is there? Yeah, like I do that. Hard... I do that in console UAD. Right, right. Of course, yeah, you can do that with zero latency. I was like, how's that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so pretty much everything in console UAD, I actually track the plugins. Wow. Okay. Voc- yeah. Vocals is the only thing where I don't do that. Uh huh. For, uh-huh. for that reason, because okay. I've tried doing it through a bus, like sending it to a bus in console but it causes phase issues. There's obviously a little yeah. bit of a delay or something. Good good compression chat. That's fine. All right, let's get back on track. The third uh, of the Fast Five is what's your favorite studio you've ever worked in? Oh, uh, NRG in LA. Oh, go cool. on. That, and that, that is, is, as you post our core fans over there, you're going <laughs> to love the history in that place. Yeah, hit me. Uh, it's like Limp Biscuit, Lincoln Park, um, Goldfinger, Okay. Uh, wow. Inc- okay. Inc- yeah. Incubus. Oh, I think I might actually be making a few of these up now. Um, sure, but it's that kind of stuff. Like I know that sound. That super like yeah. modern, noughties, like that really crisp. Oh yeah, clean. like no doubt lit. Lincoln Park, mm. Offspring. Wow, that is the sound of of late nineties American rock. Yeah, I mean it, the studio was ridiculous. What did you work on? I was recording this. Um, it was a vocal production session for this band uh, called Now Now United. They're like signed to uh, Simon Fuller's management, uh, 19, I think it's called. 
Um, but yeah, it was. It's like a really. It, it's basically like a global pop band thing. It's like this. Um, it's like a K-pop thing, but there's like fourteen of them in the band, and all fourteen of them are from different places, different countries in the world. Wow! Wow! It's quite an expensive band to put together that one. The <laughs> yeah. biggest overkill studio for what we were doing ever, but it was a great experience. <laughs> Love it. Favorite synth? Uh, Juno One Hundred Six. Cool. Has to be the one hundred six because I want to save those sounds. I've got a sixty. It does have patch memory, but it's broken. So I. Oh, it does. I'm, oh no, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of the Juno Six. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no. there's not. You're not like some super synth geek who can no, hear no. like a, the tiny difference between. <laughs> yeah, no, just I'm, not, I'm not that. Memory. I'm not that big, and uh, as long as it's got some noisy chorus, I'm happy. Oh, actually, I love my OP one. I mean, I know. Uh, I'm okay. sure that's ev- everyone raves about that thing, but that that's next level. That synth. I, I just love how it completely uh, random everything is. I, I still have no idea what any of the knobs do. Um, <laughs> you just dial up a sound by twiddling knobs and something happens. Yeah, well, it, beca- it becomes my thing at Christmas. I don't really know how to use it. Like, there's a couple of features that I use it for all the time, which is like the voice sampler thing. That I use that a lot. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and I use some of the arpeggiatory stuff. But the... Uh, Every Christmas, when I go home to see my mum, I uh, I decide that this is going to be my week. When I, if I go home for a week, I'm just going to relearn the OP one, and like, I still have, I still have no idea. I've done that for the last three years. Finally, what's your favourite microphone? Uh, Telefunken C12. Amazing. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit Ooh. about the sound? That sound and. Um, well, actually, actually, no. Can I can I answer two? Right. God, God, we've we've allowed that before, so it'd be rude not to. Yeah. Well, it's for for two totally opposite reasons. The right. U forty seven. I don't know which one. Could be Telefunken. It could be Neumann. Um, sure. I never know which one is the one I like. Um, yeah, U forty seven is that's that really fat, warm sound that just yeah. it sounds super posh. It sounds super recognizable, but it and it gives this energy that is just unparalleled by anything else the c12 does the modern super nice top end that's shiny and beautiful what's the most important tool at your disposal as a producer Uh... (laughs) what a great sound (laughs) oh god god i want to think of a good answer i think i think it's a it's a (laughs) it's a boring answer but a quick swipe comping in Logic. Oh. I nice. love quick swipe comping, and no other yeah. DAW is even close to that, in my opinion. Or is that at right? least that I've at least that I've discovered. You guys, Logic right. users? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're like, yeah, I love that. I, I haven't, I haven't ever done comping in anything else in Pro Tools or Ableton. I've yeah, it's nowhere it, but near as good. In... I've done it in Ableton, and it. I did a project with a friend this year with Ableton, and every time we'd turn up on Thursday to do it, I'd just be like, oh, fudge, I've got to comp vocals in Ableton now, and I just don't want to. <laughs> like, I've, I've done drum sessions where I've gone to a studio and they don't have Logic. So we've, like, reco- recorded, you know, we've got, we got, we got a day in the studio, we'll record two songs worth of drums, and then just so that I don't have to comp in Pro Tools, I will spend another day importing all the stems of all yeah. the drum mics into Logic so I can use quick swipe comping. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I'm actually never doing that again. Oh, 
Oh man, I loved hearing, and it, forgive us if it was a bit self-indulgent, but like hearing Andy talk about like coming up in a, a hardcore scene or a rock scene yeah. and that sort of being the beginning of him even thinking of being a producer and, and we got to talk about our time kind of playing in bands yeah. and around Kingston and, and West London. And that's a really, like, I think we all have our, our paths into music mm. and maybe increasingly it might not be through bands and stuff. There's such a, an, a wealth of opportunity to kind of self-produce from day one now, but yeah. Andy's obviously of a similar kind of age of ourselves. And it was nice to hear that. Like it just came from a love of being playing music with his friends and trying to play better music and then make it sound better when you recorded it. Yeah, I've just got such fond memories of those times in rehearsal rooms. Mm. And I feel like that's really where you learn how to produce a song in in the traditional sense. Yeah. Like how, how to put it together, how how to write it, of course, but how to like how to arrange the parts, how to decide what sound works with what and, and all those things. And, and you're doing it in a group as well. So you're all yes. learning together. And yeah, sure, like th there's always one person in the band who's destined to be behind the recording desk. And, um, you, know, you know, that was us in our bands and Andy in his band. And but like, I just, I do think it's a really great way to learn. Like it doesn't have to be a post-hardcore band. Like it just, no. that, that just chimed with us. Cause it, you know, yes. we were in that indie slash, you know, Roxy. I, I'm not even sure my band were ever good enough to even be called post-hardcore at that point. But yes, it was more that you didn't idea have the fringes sort of... in your band. No, we didn't. My hair was always far too curly, far, far, far there, too curly. We definitely um, had the fringes in my band, I'm afraid. <laughs> um. But it's also like a fun, it's just a fun step into it when things can get so serious and, um, or it becomes your job or part of your income, then you can sometimes forget those times. And just hearing Andy talk about them, you know, reminded me of those times and that excitement. Yeah, it's 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 great. And um, it was cool, cool how he then kind of came came into production by a little bit of blagging, a little bit of like making his own luck, um, and uh, yeah, just getting an op getting opportunity and taking it eventually with with that with that skirt song. Yeah, and it's funny because it sort of it rolls on from the fun he was having with the bands, but it was very much an organic thing of just mm -hmm. writing songs with people he liked and then trying to record those songs better and better. And eventually one of them sort of got enough traction that you're like, Oh, hold on a minute. Yeah. Um, this is something that I'm doing. And he's the first, he's sort of the first producers we've talked to since we talked about that thing, that idea of that spider web of income. Yeah. We talked about it in the intro. We talked about it in the episode before Christmas where there's some writing income there mm -hmm. He's obviously a, a really good producer. Mm. He's co-writing, producing, engineering, editing James Gillespie's stuff. He's going on the road with him as a tour manager. Like yeah. there's this whole holistic way to make it work as a jobbing producer. Yeah, I think it's it's really good to get a realistic picture of that from someone who's operating at a really high level. Mm. It's just the reality of of doing this job is that you will need to find multiple different ways to get paid. Um you know, yeah, most of us won't have the luxury of just doing the the bit that we really love, which which for most of us is the bit the 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 creative crucible in the studio. You're going to have to do other yes. bits as well, and there's plenty of other ways to make money and to be employed in music. And yeah, I think you know the live circuit is a really is a really really good one. Yeah, definitely. Um, before you have children, the live circuit is a fabulous <laughs> yeah, way yeah, to forget, making, forget that at that point, <laughs> make yeah. a living. Um, and also, these things can sort of lead you in different learning paths because um i love that idea he was saying of like he's now confident enough to he said trust his ears but he also was sort of saying 
use gear that you might not consider as like the gold standard yeah. that if it sounds good it is good and it sounds like he learned that a lot recording with James on the road and then doing sessions in people's front rooms yeah. and he's like I now know that this has that intangible magic whereas maybe two or three years ago I'd be like oh we've written a great song but we need to get this back into my studio where everything's treated and the mic is high quality and I've got my preamps and, and yeah. I can really get to work. He, he's now like, no, this is just good music. This is good sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and if you're a half-decent engineer, you can get a perfectly workable sound out of mm. entry-level gear. And then it's all about, as we've discussed many times on, on this podcast, it's all about capturing that performance and capturing mm. that vibe, even if it's technically not great. Yeah, and then and then you rely on your experience and trust your ears that you don't need to lean on expensive gear. I love the idea of making a record on the road. I think back to when I toured and and it just my my abilities and also the technology wasn't quite there yet. I mean, I'm sure some like I'm sure people could make records that way, but the kind of records we made were a bit harder maybe 10 or 12 years ago on the road. Did, but did you I, write? We wrote a bit. We did write a bit. I, I actually found it it wasn't that useful to write as a band on the road because mm. there's too many moving parts and you can't. You need to get in a room, a rehearsal room. Yeah, someone's always going to be hungover or tired or missing. Yeah. Completely. But the kind of setup that um, Andy and James sound like they had and, and, and that I'm sure I could have developed on the road, I'd have loved to have done more of that. Um, I know that Blur did the magic whip. Um, David Orban oh, really? did all of that on on the road. Just had a whole load of stems and just slowly built the record. Sick. And it's there for you. And, and if you have a nice hotel room or a good friend's living room and you've just come off and you've got that buzz and you've got an idea, it's it's a great mm. way it, to get things down. And then you can come back from tour it's, it's with, probably easier with some if, things in the back pocket. With your Damon Alban on like the top of the range nightliner, it's probably a bit easier, isn't it? But That's undoubtedly you know, true. Yeah, that is undoubtedly yeah. true. But, that wasn't quite my life. But, but yeah, I, I definitely take your point that it, it could be a really cool creative arena to just... Because you, you, you use those sound checks to like check out, like try out new riffs or try out new ideas. And you hear bands doing that as, um, sometimes when you're on the road. And that's that's really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, is, is it My Eye and Lung or, or The Benz, I believe, is a, is a sound check recording. And there's certainly stuff on some of the later REM records. And I'm sure there's more contemporary examples of that. That's just sort of my knowledge base. But yeah, we definitely that. did that on the road. Mm. But yeah, as I say, the sort of bedroom recording hadn't quite got there yet. Right. Um, I love uh, Andy's vocal take colouring yes, method. Let's do it. Um, let's unpack. Yeah, I just... I I I don't like I said in the interview I don't have a good method for keeping track of good takes so I kind of rely on if they ha if they haven't done too many takes I rely on my short term memory but I also mm -hmm. sometimes just aren't con I'm not concentrating enough during the takes and like I have to just go through it with the artist and you know think about it afresh when they're back in the room um, yes that's always how I've done it or if I've had the luxury of working with you on a track or another a co producer I will do that thing of having a, a pencil yeah. Yeah. And I'll just be like, uh, take 9.4 yes. or and write it down. And so when we start comping, I can say, I think there was a really good one, three from the end. Let's start from there yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I use colors for delineating like what stage the processing is at. So ah, it, it just, I just leave it as the default blue. I use logic. And then um, when, it's, when it's like comped and I, I usually like flatten the take and so it's just one audio file and um i might change that to a different color and then if the project needs um needs like 
or needs editing for pitch or timing, then after I do that, I usually bounce it again to make sure that you don't start getting like weird glitches happening because mm -hmm. the you know, Logic's Flex is still a bit shaky. Uh, so then I'll then I'll turn it pink once it's been flexed, and um, ah, and then I like, like a definitive stem. Yeah, I like to have the lead vocal like a different color than any BV, so you can easily see in the session like okay, there's the lead. That's um, about the extent of my color coding at the moment. Yeah. Is like. Uh, kind of buses and stuff like that mm. you know we started last episode with an amazing anecdote about kate bush phoning the future heads <laughs> and leaving an answer can't believe message. <laughs> and we're ending this episode by talking about how we color our stems depending on pitch flex or bus uh, <laughs> delineation so to all our loyal and wonderful fans thank you for sticking with us i hope you've enjoyed this episode yeah we'll be back in a fortnight's time with an interview with the brilliant luke smith producer of foals keaton henson some other amazing acts and he is a really interesting and deep thinker about music and that's a really interesting conversation and a really different one from the two we've had already this series yeah really really interesting eye-opening interview um, but yeah, in the meantime, answers on a postcard for how you color code your regions in your door. Oh, let us know on Instagram. Absolutely. No doubt. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks time. See you then. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the process of production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see featured. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at processofproduction, and our email is processofproductionpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>